Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming. We will continue to read from Sri Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. We are studying now the 29th Anucheda, wherein uh, the 29th Anucheda gives us some directives as to how reconciliation is done by the Acharyas, and we should also follow in the footsteps of the Acharya, how differing statements that we may find even in the Srimad Bhagavatam or other Bhakti Shastras, scriptures specifically dealing with uh, love and devotion for the Supreme, uh, need to be reconciled with the idea that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. So there are many manifestations of the Supreme Lord, but this understanding that our tradition gives is that of all those various manifestations, those avataric descents that the Lord may come time and time again uh, in order to uh, assist humanity and to Offer, uh, offer a means by which we can um, gain a, a closer relationship with him uh, through his pastimes and through explanations of his different forms when he comes to execute those pastimes and the different qualities that he exhibits when he uh, engages in those pastimes that all these different aspects of the personality of the Supreme Lord rest ultimately in Lord Krishna, that human-like form of the Lord who is a cowherd boy. He's the one that uh, is the original from which all other forms of Godhead come. So here Jiva Goswami is giving us indication as to when we see in Scripture statements that may lead us to believe that Krishna is equal to any other manifestation of the Lord, or Krishna even comes from another manifestation of the Lord, like the Purusha avatars are the lords that create and manifest the material cosmos, which we are so much a part of, that those statements have to be seen in, in the light of the, this sutra, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, that Krishna is the original form of the Supreme from whom all emanations come, even those creating manifestations of the Lord, which we refer to as Purushas. Generally, within any material cosmos, and there's unlimited material manifestations, uh, cosmic manifestations, uncountable uh, universes within the material realm 
generally when the Lord enters into those individual universes, he comes through or he's a manifestation of the energy of the Purusha. And as we've gone over, Scripture delineates that those different avatars or avataric descents that come through the agency of the Purusha avatar or the creator, the creating manifestations of the Lord, which we studied a whole Sandarbha about, the Paramatma Sandarbha, um, that despite the fact that all those different, all these different avataric descents that we experience either directly or through the agency of Shastra, we may not be there personally, first-hand experience may not be uh, there for us, but we can certainly, that doesn't mean we have no experience. It means that when there is not first-hand experience, well, somebody can tell you how it was. A lot of our experience of the world comes through the lips of others, not through our personally experiencing an, an event. So if we weren't there when Lord Jesus Christ came, if we weren't there when Rama advented or when Krishna came or Matya or uh, Mohini Murti or... I mean, we could go on. We went through a whole list, as Sutta Goswami had expressed in the third uh, chapter of the first canto, all these different avatars, Narda, the Kumars. Even you can look at the various Guna avatars, those very powerful personalities uh, who were in charge of goodness, passion, and ignorance. They're also considered avatars. Uh, and... This is where the science of Krishna consciousness kind of kicks in to understand that the Lord, he, he can come himself, as Krishna does. He can come in a different form that has equivalent power to his original form. He can come in a form that has, this displays a lesser amount of power. Or, if he wants, he can empower a jiva with his shaktis, as he does with Narada, the bhakti shakti, or the kumars with the uh, knowledge shakti. Or as he does with Brahma, with the shakti to create the world. Or as he does with Shiva, which is a whole science in and of itself. Shiva is not really in the Jiva category, but he's not really in the Godhead category. So there's even an in-between category. And that uh, Lord Shiva is, he's that God that actually touches the modes of material nature. Very unique. Generally, God does not get involved in the modes of material nature. Shiva's that in between God. Although he's fully transcendental, still he's like milk 
touched by an agent, a culture, and he's he's like yogurt, so he's not really milk, and he's he's not really fully a jiva either. So there's a whole science there just to understanding Shiva. So Shiva also is sometimes referred to as Bhagavan. So Jiva Goswami's showing us how as uh, serious students of scripture we need to see statements in scripture through the light of, and that's what a Parivash Sutra means, it sheds light on the meaning of the whole Shastra. So there's only one statement, this one specific statement, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam, regarding the nature of Krishna being the source of all other manifestations of the Godhead. There's that one statement, but there's many other statements that refer to Krishna or would seem to be referring to Krishna as a as equivalent to any other avataric descent of the Lord. Those avatars coming through the Purusha uh, avatar. Some say Mahavishnu, some say Garbhodakshai Vishnu. Depending on how you look at it, there's they're really Paramatma. So Paramatma manifests three different forms. Um, Karnadakshai Vishnu, Garbhodakshai Vishnu, and Kashiradakshai Vishnu. And those different forms enact different functions of the creation. But in essence, they are one in that they are associated with the created creative process. Uh, generally speaking, though, we would say ontologically within a specific universe, the Garbhodakshai Vishnu or the Vishnu from who presides within a specific universe is the source of the avatars that manifest within that universe. So Jiva's begun and he's shown us how different verses should be seen in the light of this understanding. Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Now he's going to go on and he's going to show us how a specific leela or incident relayed in the scriptures should be seen in that same light. So this subsection is called the Maha Kalapura episode. And it uh, it comes from the 89th chapter of the 10th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam. So next to the last chapter. A basic overview of the Leela itself. While uh, Lord Krishna was residing in uh, Dwarka, I believe in Dwarka. Mm -hmm. Could have been Hastinapur. Mm -hmm. Or why was he with Krishna in Dwarka? I think he's in Dwarka. Okay. So, while he was residing in Dwarka, Arjuna was there with him. And 
he was residing as 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 a prince there uh, in the in the princely order within the population of the city Dwarka there resided one Brahmana and the Brahmana was married and he had a wife and they had an offspring and the offspring died at birth so they tried again and the second child died at birth this happened repeatedly for eight years imagine a culture where the piety of the leader is judged by the experience of the residents or those that are living under his charge so imagine based you living in a in a community under the under a king and if 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 bad things happen to you you naturally feel that those bad experiences that you're having in your life are the result of the impiety of the rulership that you live under so this is the Vedic culture that the leaders are that are held to that high a level of responsibility that their good acts their piety make up for because they are considered a representative of the Lord and this has even come and come forward into our modern society where we have monarchy God was I mean the, the king was considered a representative of God you go back to all your English literature and you'll see the king was he could was considered a representative of God some kings took it a little too far but <clears throat> it was uh, it's simultaneously one and different would be the proper way to understand it anyway in Dwarka this Brahmin who was losing child year after year every time he and his wife tried to have a child the child died and he he started to complain about the management what the what kind of what kind of a kingdom are you running here here I am living under your rule and my children are dying every year what are you doing behind Clio's doors so really he was the Brahmin was making accusations against the monarchy of which Krishna was part of the monarchy and Arjuna was also part of the monarchy because they were both acting as Kshatriyas at that time so the Kshatriyas are the leaders of society as far as rulership Brahmins are the leaders of society as far as spiritual culture overall morale um, moral the, they set the moral compass and they give good guidance to the people that actually do the leadership again we see that carried forward in our society to some extent gradually it's becoming more and more of a gray black area 
But if we can look back a couple hundred years, we can see, or three or five or 700 years, we can see that, you know, like the kings, the kings in England depended on the church and they followed the church until they didn't want to follow the church and they made their own church. So in the beginning they followed, uh, what, the Pope. They had a very, uh, what we call orthodox. And the Pope, Pope was really the, the head of the church. And then he was the only, the Pope and his ministers were the only people who could properly deliver information regarding spiritual matters. In fact, the books were hidden and locked away in their domain. So not everybody picked up the Bible and read it because that was no. What's the use of you reading the Bible? You, can't, you don't know how to interpret it. So therefore, you have to, you have to depend on your, on your priest, on your minister, on the cardinal, on the pope, whatever the hierarchy is, which I'm not familiar with. We see the same thing in, in, in uh, Hindu tradition to some extent, but uh, we'll just continue with it, this uh, uh, English analogy. And at one point then it was like, we don't really like the, the stringent nature of the way the Pope is making dictates as to how we should conduct ourselves and what's moral and what's immoral. And, it seems that there might be a better way and then there'd be a religious leader come along. I don't know who the big one was in England uh, at the time, but uh, um, he said, well, we can, anybody can pick up the Bible and read it. It's not like a, it's, it's for everyone. Oh my gosh. So therefore they had a, a Protestant, a Protestant uprising. And then there was the Catholic church as opposed to the, the Protestant religion, which was more of a, a God is for the people, as opposed to God is for the goddess for the the godly, and the rest of you follow the godly, and then the Protestants come along and try to push aside that that uh, vi media to God, <laughs> who probably was not fully doing their job right. Anyway, I, I, I digress. We can see that that. Exist, that that exists, that the leadership of a society is to a certain extent, the monarchy in a, in a, in a monarchy is responsible to be the standard bearer and to protect all the citizens. It's just in Vedic culture at the time of Krishna, 5,000 years ago, it was a pretty high standard, a much higher standard than it's come down through the ages and it's been diminished. But back then, if the child died within the kingdom, it was the ruler's fault. The ruler must be, what's a ruler doing behind closed doors here? He's not upstanding morally and because of his moral, uh, what is it, treptitude or, anyway, ineptitude. <laughs> the children, these children are dying. Now Arjuna who is Krishna's dear friend, it came to his attention about, I believe, after the eighth death of the child. And Arjuna said, well, we'll have no more of this. He said, I guarantee you, your ninth child, your ninth child is good to go. 
I will personally guarantee it. Arjuna was a pretty powerful person, and he could uh, he had control of uh, all the uh, all of the uh, cities, the mystic abilities of a of a great warrior. So he put he cast protective spells and and put his instruments, which were as sophisticated as any instrument we have today, if not more, uh, to protect the uh, home of the Brahmin. And still, the child was born and immediately is gone. Disappears. So Arjuna, he was, he said, well, I, I will go get your child. And knowing the workings of the universe, he immediately said, well, just let me go check it out with the Amaraj. So immediately went to the planet of the dead, Yama's planet, and he demanded to have the child back and all the other children. And Yamaraj says, I never saw him. So what do you mean you didn't see them? Aren't you the one, the demigod within this universe that's in charge of everybody's karma? and determining when they die, how they die, and meting out the, the results of their piety or impiety and arranging for their next birth? I mean, is there another Yamaraj that I don't know about here? Because in every universe, I only thought there was one of you. Yamaraj says, well, I'm sorry I can't help you because I've known nothing. I've known, I've no knowledge of what's going on here at all. Don't know where these kids went to. I didn't arrange it. I didn't. I, they didn't die under my jurisdiction. So Arjuna's completely. Where where else does he go? He doesn't. So he he does research to the best of his ability, and and he ends up a failure. He does. He can't do it. So the nature of him as a monarch, monarch, and to cast aside any criticism that may befall Krishna, he says, well, I'll just kill myself. If I, I haven't been successful, let me just take my life. Krishna finds out. Krishna says, no, 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 no. we're not going to let that happen. I'll personally arrange for the return of these dead children of the Brahmin. And then, of course, he's the supreme personality of Godhead. And he immediately knew what had happened. So within the narration of this particular Leela, there is dialogue between, because what happened was the children were actually taken by Mahavishnu. Now, Mahavishnu is the Purusha avatar who's at like the beginning stage. All the universes come forth from his pores. So he's like he's like the the Vishnu above the Vishnu in a specific universe. Within our universe we have Garbodakshai Vishnu. Now Garbodakshai Vishnu sprouts a lotus and Brahma's born and the whole world's populated and on and on. But before that happens the universes themselves have a source. And the source of those universes is Mahavishnu, uh, Karnadakshai Vishnu. And in this instance, 
and you'll hear during these uh, this Anacheda another terminology, uh, Mahakala. So the big time, the big, the big controller of time. Maha means immense, and Kala means time, the forward progress of the material manifestations. So the manifestations come out, and then they dissolve and go back into the supreme, then they come out again. So they all, all that happens under the jurisdiction of time. So Krishna and Arjuna travel to the ends of the universe, go beyond the universe, and go to the residence of Mahakala, called Mahakalapura. Mahakalapura. That's where our Anucheta begins. There are statements in the narration here which Jiva Goswami is going to do, as he did with individual verses, he's going to show us how this particular incident and, this, and the statements made by Mahavishnu and by, well, primarily the statements made by Mahavishnu are to be seen in the light of the Parivas Sutra. And to see them in any other way will lead to a misunderstanding or misconceptions regarding the various tattvas that constitute our Sampradaya's teaching. So Jiva says, in the same way, this declaration, Pratijna, Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, also rules rules over the episode of Mahakalapura the incident that happened in Mahakalapura. Moreover, Shastra is educative and education, takes the form of instructions, upadesh, which is of two types, direct, saksat, and indirect, or by the way of another meaning, athantara dwara. I'm sorry, Arthantara Dwara. We know that also simply as uh, Arthurvad. So as an indirect meaning. So there's two kind of statements, direct, saksat, and there's indirect. Direct instruction has been termed Shruti. Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam, direct. Doesn't need any help from any other source. The meaning of the word direct here is that such instruction is not dependent on anything else. As is said, an independent statement is called Shruti. Jiva Goswami continues, this being the case, there's, this being the case, that there's two kinds of statements, direct statements and indirect statements. Now let's look at this particular incident in consideration of these kind of statements so that we can arrive at the proper conclusion by properly classifying the statements that are made by Mahavishnu or Mahakala, whichever nomenclature you want to use, uh, within the context of the Leela. Such being the case, we may refer to Jamini Sutra, 
And then uh, Jiva Goswami educates us in not only their direct statements and inferred statements, there's more than even those two. So he, he refers to this sutra and he says, when direct statement, shruti, inferential mark or word meaning, linga, sentence, sentence or syntactical connection, vakya, context or interdependence, prakarana, position or order of words, stana and name, samakya, are present simultaneously, if they were all, all present in a statement, each member is progressively weaker in interpretive force based because of increasing remoteness from the meaning. We don't need to get hung up in this. It, basically what Jeeva is saying is a direct statement, Shruti, is the most powerful. From there, you go downhill. The second one is Linga. Linga is an inferral mark. It's in, you're making an inference based on your understanding of what has been presented in this, as a statement. So they're progressively weaker in interpretive force because of increasing remoteness from the meaning, which would be Shruti. In accordance with this rule, now remember, Jamini Sutra is, these are, there's a lot of uh, uh, hermeneutics here, uh, the word usage is specifically in relationship to, to Sanskrit, which is the language of the gods and the language of the, of the scripture. In accordance with this rule, the subsequent interpretive criteria is further removed from the correct ascertainment of meaning than the one that precedes it. So they progress down. Less and less significance. The statement, Krishna, however, is Bhagavan himself, is Sri Sutta's direct instruction to Sunaka, and it overrides contradictory instructions conveyed through inferential marks, linga, or inferred meanings that you may arrive at by hearing a statement, in historical narrations, such as those in Bhagavat Purana and Mahabharata. Now we're going to get a real lesson here in the proper way to interpret Leela and Shastric statements. It's a lesson that will build in our study of scripture over time. It's not a lesson that we're going to learn overnight. But we're going to walk away from this section of this Anucheta with an example which we can fall back on when confronted with trying to arrive at the absolute best and topmost understanding of anything in, in, that we come across in Scripture or anything that we hear in the community of devotees. 
we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna develop a little bit finer discrimination by hearing the way Jiva Goswami approaches this one incident and the statements made by Mahavishnu to Krishna and Arjuna. So it's heady stuff, but it also it turns up the fire of of the intellect uh, in dealing with scripture. We say, wow, wait, I thought it was all just simple. Uh, in the beginning, there was light. <laughs> yeah, in the beginning, there was light, but who made the light and where did the light come from and what's the constituents of light and is the light material or spiritual? And, you know, these are the fine, fine points of the nature of the Supreme, which help us understand and discriminate between what is matter and what is spirit and what is ourselves and what is our true inner being, what's the essence of our existence. All these things strengthen that. And as pointed out by Jiva Goswami, we should not shy away from such discussions. We should dive in and we should try to assimilate this kind of knowledge. And when the guru says, or the scripture says, we can say, wait a minute, I don't understand. Could you explain it? Could you make it easy enough that I can understand it? And we notice that throughout the Bhagavatam. Maharaj Pariksit is always saying, whoa, wait, wait a minute here. I don't quite, could you re, could you just, could you unpack that a little bit for me so I can really enter into the mystery of the knowledge you're trying to convey to me? He does it repeatedly. And when he hears something that just doesn't compute, like Jaya and Vijaya falling from Vaikuntha, Yudhisthira, Arjuna's brother, said, no, 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 I don't, that doesn't work for me at all. Because... I understand Vaikuntha to be that place, having once gone, one never returns. How could these servants of the Supreme leave? What is the circum? And then we enter in a whole, enter into a leela, an narration whereby we are made privy to very specific knowledge regarding the nature of the residence of the, of the transcendental realm and the nature and depth of their own individual potencies, whereby if they desire to serve the Lord in a specific way, they can manifest through their own spiritual desire to please the Lord, to serve him in a specific manner, a form that affords them that opportunity and they can ride that form into the material world while they're still doing their service perfectly in the spiritual realm. Very intricate. I mean, we're talking about, wow, people that love the Lord so much, they want to fulfill his desire, and the Lord gives them all facility to do that without breaking the rules of the material world and the spiritual world. And so... There's a lot to be had from these narrations, 
there's a lot to be had from hearing from people like Jiva and the Guru and, you know, how they unpack these Leelas and make it work philosophically. There's no, there's no, it's not wishy-washy. It's not just make it up as you go along and you're good and I'm good and the way you think it is is fine and the way I think it is is fine. No, it is. You could, it's okay. Overall, as Vaishnavs, you can say that Sampradaya looks this way, this Sampradaya looks that way, and we, we expect, we respect and honor another Sampradaya's viewpoint, but within our own Sampradaya, we have to follow the core teachings as put forth by the founders of a Sampradaya. So we're, we, we're not wishy, we're, we're not really, you know, it's just, it's very precise spiritual knowledge based and based on our apprehension, comprehension, and discrimination regarding those leelas and regarding these, these matters of tattva, we're able to enter into the deep, a deep relationship with our istadev, our manifestation of the Lord Krishna, uh, that's, that is our attainment. But we're not going to get there with Anarthas. Anarthas. We're definitely not going to get there with Aparads. But there's only one main, main Aparad. <laughs> I'm not going to go into a different class here, but... Anarthas are misplaced values. It's not just a misplaced value of I want to enjoy this or I want to enjoy that. Like I want to enjoy the material world or I'm going to enjoy, you know, spiritual activity. Of course, that's a kind of anartha. But a misplaced value, you're putting, you're putting, you're putting the stock, uh, you're putting to, va to value what really holds no value. Um, philosophically, an idea that doesn't hold values philosophically. In the beginning, we say operats, we also refer to putting value in pleasure where there's really no pleasure because it doesn't end well, which is also an operat. It's a misplaced value. So we can do that in relationship to our, uh, the impressions we have for enjoyment coming forth from lifetimes in the material world. Like, I can enjoy this or enjoy that. That's going to make me happy. But we find out in the end, it doesn't, isn't all that was cracked up to be. <laughs> so similarly, philosophically, there's a narthas where we put, we misplace and give spiritual precedent to ideas which really don't hold. And we have to be willing to let go of those anarthas and move forward. And as we do that, we come to the stage of steadiness in our practice. So the lesson begins. Jiva Goswami says, It should not be conjectured, should not, that the presiding lord of Mahakalapura, Mahavishnu, had himself imparted just such a direct instruction to Krishna when he said, being desirous of seeing the two of you, Krishna and Arjuna, I had the sons of the Brahmana 
brought here. You are both my parts, kala is the word used in the verse, who have descended upon the earth for the preservation of Dharma. After killing the Asuras, who are a burden to the earth, quickly return here once again to me. Jiva said this statement by Mahavishnu is not equivalent to Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. It's not a direct statement. It's a linga. It's in, and by hearing it, the way it's presented, we can infer the wrong thing. Now, I'm going to teach you how to infer the right thing from this statement in light of the Parivas, Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. We now have an introduction to the topic as it's been present, being presented and hopefully going forward we can, we can unpack it, see the way Jiva presents it in such a way that it, it nourishes not only our understanding of this one Leela, but it helps nourish our overall understanding of the significance of Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead in relationship to all other Leela that we may hear. And just like we heard the Parivas of the of the Vraj Leela that Vishwanath brought out in regards to the tenth canto. I mean this is this is esoteric stuff. This is the essence of what really nourishes uh, nourishes our study of scripture and we should be uh, uh, thrilled to, to enter into this discussion and, and understanding as the Acharyas are giving us. Any questions? So in general, you said uh, that the um, avatars generally descend through Garbhadakshaya Vishnu? It says both yeah. things, but I think... Uh, you mean? It said also Mahavishnu. Uh -huh. Some people say the avatars are coming through Mahavishnu. Of course they're coming through Mahavishnu because Garbhadakshaya Vishnu is coming... It's coming. The Garbhadakshaya Vishnus in each universe yeah, are coming from Mahavishnu. Kind of yeah, yeah. So some... some some kind of just set aside Garbhadakshai Vishnu or see him as just another representation of Karnadakshai Vishnu. So you'll read both in scripture. Uh -huh. I feel more comfortable with saying they're coming from Garbhadakshai within a specific universe. So if we qualify it like that, then that's fine. Or you can say they all come through Mahavishnu, all the various avatars. Well, they do. All the various avatars come through Mahavishnu. But specifically in a universe, they come through the agency of the manifestation of mm. Mahavishnu called Garbhadakshai Vishnu. So just nomenclature. So and this, but Krishna does not or did not come through through the Vishnu avatars. That's correct. Right, he comes completely independently. Yes. Okay. But if you want to look that he does, it's okay. Oh. But not in this sampradaya, it's not okay. Right. All right. So some pradayas, some other some pradayas, they don't hold this same idea that we have. Right. This Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam is specific to our understanding that is the basis of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Why? Because we embrace a, a more subtle understanding. A chinta beta beta tattva. 
there's a lot of manifestations of the Supreme Lord. He's unlimited and he comes in unlimited forms. He has unlimited devotees to worship him in different ways and he manifests according to that worship in a way that nourishes their love for him wherever that love may be. But within this Sampradaya, we recognize that. We recognize that first through the Vedanta, Vedanti verse. Vedanti tat tatva vidas tatva miyas jnanam advayam prameti paramatmeti bhagavaniti sabhyate. This absolute spiritual non-dual substance, which we would call the supreme, is seen differently according to the method of worship. Some seeing as Brahman, some seeing as Paramatma, some seeing as Bhagavan. Now, if we're going to look at Bhagavan, we get even more finer. Iti chamsa kalakumsa krishnastu Bhagavan swayam. Of all the different Bhagavan manifestations, Krishna's the topmost. So we go from the from this, the broader range to the more specific range, and within that specific range, we say Krishna. We, as Gaudiya Vaishnavas. If you don't see it that way, it's okay. But if you're going to worship according to our tradition and, and take advantage of the full Udarya, or magnanimous dispensation of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then you've got to see it in the S that Krishna is the original manifestation of the Supreme. That vision, as inculcated in the instructions of Sri Chaitanya, affords us the opportunity to enter into the most intimate relationships with the Supreme because we go directly to the source of the source of the source, which is Krishna, and in going there, we can enter into leelas where the intimacy is to such an extent that the godhood fades away. I have a question. When you say fade away, talking about the intimate relationship with Krishna, you said something about God, that godliness or something fades away. What does that mean? It means that one's relationship with the Supreme becomes so so steeped in the deepest of love, like a mother would have for the, her children, as a friend would have for a friend, as a lover would have for a beloved, that the love for Krishna or the Supreme Lord becomes so overwhelmed by that loving emotion that in order to fully nourish that loving emotion, Krishna withdraws our knowledge of his being God. Kind of hard to love your child if your child's God. Kind of hard to love your lover if your lover's God. Or it's kind of hard to wrestle with your friend when you know He's God. Krishna will let you win. Krishna will suck your breast. Krishna will love you like a lover. But to really experience those to the nth degree, he has to withdraw his godhood. So you're compatible or equal? Yeah. 
so that the loving exchange can be equal. Thank you so much for your association.